to Ephesians chapter 3. It's amazing um, that if you keep your eyes and ears attentive to the spiritual things, you'll find out that God is a little more in control than you ever thought. And he never ceases to amaze me in that. We've been going through the book of Ephesians on Tuesdays. At 10 o'clock and at 7 o'clock, I have a Bible study, and we are walking through the book of Ephesians, uh, sometimes a verse at a time, sometimes four or five verses at a time, just depending on how the text falls out. And then we've been taking that material, preaching it on Wednesday nights. Well, this Wednesday, we were finishing up these very verses to finish up the third chapter of the book of Ephesians before we start, start into chapters 4. And when we start to chapter 4 and the following chapters, it's going to give us some life application as to what Paul is trying to get across to the believers in verses one through, I mean, chapters 1 through 3. He tells us in chapters 1 and 2 all that we have in Christ Jesus as believers in salvation and also, I believe, through sanctification, the power that we have that God uses to sanctify us throughout our lives until we see him. Then, in chapter 3, he is going to pray for the believers. And the first part of chapter 3, he explains what he's going to pray and that, that he's going to be praying for them. And then what we have in our verses today, verses 14 through 21, he actually prays the prayer. And so after Wednesday night, I could not get it freed up for me that we needed to just go right back into the same text and preach basically about the same thing. And so I had to message Tim. I said, you know, I said, I, I, I communicate with, with him what's, what I'm preaching, even though the music's already been lined up. Never know, sometimes God may adjust something with him. Even though he didn't, he, it was all lined up. And it's amazing how God lined things up beautifully, and we'll see how that works out. But, uh, but to think that God is so on time that he would have a message like we'll hear today for the day that we're living in is amazing. Granted, things have been progressing over the course of the week, but nobody really started paying a lot of attention until the last 36 hours. And then now, as we're here and understanding what uh, God had laid on my heart to preach, I've actually had more peace about what, to sh what I'm sharing today than I have at pretty much any other time in my pastoral career. And so as we look into chapter 3, this prayer that Paul prays, I believe, is an old prayer but still applicable to modern people. As a matter of fact, I believe Paul prayed this for all believers, and we'll see that in the last verse when we read it. So he prays this prayer. We're going to grab four things that Paul is pleading for the believers in this, out of this text. And so let's read this prayer. And you notice when we start in verse 14, you'll notice his posture uh, of which, from which he prays. He bows his knees. Many of us think that if we don't close our eyes and bow our heads, we're not praying. But that, that happens uh, in our lives. We get stuck with some traditional things. And I'm not saying you're wrong if you do that. I'm just saying Paul takes a posture of bowing his knees. And here he goes. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit, in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love 
may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, pray that you take your word today. Convict, encourage, strengthen. Draw our hearts to the reality of our salvation. If any are not saved, I pray, God, that your the gospel would be the power in their lives today to bring them to salvation. Above all, God, let you be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. No prayer for a modern people. We are the same but different when it comes to people that have been on this earth throughout the ages. I can't help but believe that throughout all the ages there have been people that have prayed correctly to the right one in the right way. There are people that have prayed to the right one, not really knowing how to pray, but God understands it. I've also in the belief that there are people who have prayed throughout all the ages that have prayed to the wrong person or wrong deity that have prayed to them for the wrong things and got the answers that they were asking for even though they were not what they asked for. In other words, they prayed to this God who is not really a God and they got answers, but it wasn't answers that they were wanting. I believe today, this week, that we have just come through and the weeks heading before us, that there are people around this world that are praying everywhere. Prayer is not an uncommon thing, has never been, but at a time like this, people tend to gravitate toward a deity in their minds or someone or something that could possibly help me because of my world is spinning out of control. And isn't it the truth? Our world at the moment seems to be spinning out of control. They'll pray to porcelain statues. They'll pray to stone objects, to bronze gods and goddesses. Paul prays his prayer to a specific person and it is the father and he it's not just any father he says the father of our lord jesus christ he's very specific as to who he's praying to he says it's also the father of all of the family of god that are in heaven now and those that are still here there's so much theology and doctrine within just that one spot it's amazing that that uh, he is very specific that he is praying to the one and only true and living God, the one that sent Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He is praying to the one that unites us together through the blood of Jesus Christ as a family. And I'm thankful to be with the family of God today and even online being with the family of God. There are people all around this world that honestly, and please hear my heart when I say this, this is not prejudging anybody, but if there's any group of people on the face of this planet that 
Anybody on this earth wants to get together and hear pray, it ought to be God's people today because he's the only one listening. He's the only one that can hear. And we're the only ones that can talk to him. Until a believer, I mean, until an unbeliever repents, I believe the Lord has a deaf ear to them. But to his children that cry out to him, he said, if you will cry out to me, he said, I will hear you. And I'm thankful today that God hears me. I feel alone sometimes, I do. And I know you do too. But then there's something about the spirit of the living God that wells up inside of us and says, he's got to be listening. I don't know for sure. I don't want to claim it to be fact. But it seems that there is a gathering in Israel this evening to pray. And if that's true, I can promise you the six foot rule won't apply there. They will be at the western wall. And they will be side by side, head to toe, stacked as tight as they can get. It will be more than 100 people probably. Probably more than 500. And they will be crying out to Jehovah. Now you can have your views as to what you think about are the Jews still heard by God? And all I'm telling you is They have a closer view than a lot of the world has as to who God truly is. They may be missing a part of it, but nevertheless, they'll be meeting to pray. I'm thankful to have had people praying for me in my lifetime. I really am. And I believe that God not only only hears prayers, he heeds those prayers. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, the Bible says, avails much. My heart's cry is, though, that, oh, God, would I be a righteous man? And I know my righteousness can only be in Jesus Christ and yours, too. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I think that this is what Paul is actually trying to get across to us. So if you look at the way it breaks down, we'll see those four things that Paul actually prays for in this, what some people would call an old, out-of-date book with an old, out-of-date prayer. That God would strengthen us. This is the first thing he prays. That God would strengthen us with virtuous power by his spirit working in our hidden places. Listen to the verses as they break down. For this reason, verse 14, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Listen, verse 16 says, That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Did you catch that? The first thing Paul prays after he addresses who he's praying to, he says, I'm praying, listen, that he, Jehovah God, the father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the father of the family, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. What is so cool about Scripture is that we can look at the context of the surrounding Scriptures and understand exactly what Paul really is praying. So if you flip back over to chapter 1, in verses 15 through 21, we will learn some things about the desire that Paul has for us to understand this power that God has residing within us. The word there in chapter 3, same word we'll run into here in just a moment. 
is called dunamis. It's the dynamite power of God. And so as we go through the text here, verse chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, Paul says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. And I want to pause there for just a moment. I know everybody in this room probably has had some unusual feelings over the last 36 hours. I'd be lying to tell you that I have not. Making decisions about assembling together in times like this is not an easy decision. Somebody would say that they, oh, well, bless God, let's just trust God and let's go. It's not, it's not like that. One of the greatest desires on my heart this morning was, and I, I told Christy I was burdened, and this was the burden of my heart. It was not necessarily whether to meet or not to meet, but it was the fact that we were meeting, but there, some of the family might be feel alienated because they were not, didn't need to be here because of maybe illnesses or because of their age. So there are a lot of factors that come in. I cannot, underst- I cannot even begin to fathom what it's like to make decisions for an entire country, for a state, for a county. And people have to make those decisions. And those are decisions that they'll stand with in whatever decision they make. They will stand for that decision, not just before other people, but they'll stand before God one day for those decisions. And so making a decision is not easy. But I'd be lying to you to tell you that I didn't have this unusual feeling that the world is upside down right now. People are are panicking And I believe one of the greatest reasons that they're panicking is because mortality has slapped them in the face. In other words, we might die. And the truth of the matter is, I I remember a friend of mine, his son uh, got Lou Gehrig's disease. And it was, he was going to die. It's just how long it would take for his muscles to, to get to the point where they were so weak that he could not actually breathe and his heart wouldn't beat. Well, he got saved early on in this deal. Well, actually, he got saved, sorry, and then found out he had Lou Gehrig's disease. He was going around speaking at men's breakfast meetings and different things like that. And I'll never forget hearing him say this. And this was his, this was his one major statement that he would go around and teach people. He said, y'all look at me as if I have a terminal disease. He said, you do realize all of us do. All of us will die one day. Well, I'm thinking about all these things, and I'm thinking about Paul and his writings to the the believers that in his day and time, and I have a friend of mine that is an evangelist. He is speaking at a church in Virginia today. They have three services. He spoke last night at a supper they had. He shared with me last night around 11 o'clock a video where they had uh, done a little interview between him and the pastor and trying to let people know exactly why they were doing what they were doing and how all that was going to work out with them assembling together. As I was texting him back, my heart just sank because I started typing these words. I said, I love you, brother. I've loved you ever since I realized just how much you love Jesus and love other people. 
And I said, my plans are, I believe, that we will worship together again before the end of this year. I'm thinking about having him come. And I said, and I said but if for some reason we don't get to see each other and we don't see each other before eternity, I'll worship with you in glory. And I got to thinking about it. It just overcome me. I said, you're typing words like Paul typed. Paul said, I I desire to be with you. But if for some reason I'm held back and I can't be with you, I'm sending you a letter to encourage you. Listen to what he says. I've had this love for you ever since I realized your love for Jesus Christ. And listen to what he says. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He says, listen at verse 19, I want you to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power. And that word power there, as a matter of fact, in that one verse 19, there are four words that deal with some type of energy. There is the dunamis power of God. Where we get our word dynamite from, right there, the greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working. That word working is the word energia, where we get our word energy. It's the fleshing out of the Christian life. And then of his mighty power. Two more words that deal with energy or might. That word mighty is the ability endowed within something. The word power is kratos. It means dominion. And and so when you think about the whole of it, he's talking about everything to do with Christ, his dominion over everything that's made. And nothing was made without him. And and that the the working out of the fleshly doing life, the energy is in Christ Jesus. And the energy is so great that it is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The problem with us is the whole physical science issue. You ever heard of potential energy and kinetic energy? Potential energy is energy that is stored up that at any moment it can be used, but it's not being used. Kinetic energy is energy that is actually in motion. It is being used. Do you know that a stick of dynamite ain't no good until you light the fuse, right? That within us believers, there is the dynamite explosive power of almighty God residing in us and i believe that in god's will doing what god would have us to do there is nothing that can take you out of here ahead of time a dear precious person in my life that is a male figure over 70 years old was being ridiculed by somebody a little bit younger than me saying that they should not go to a doctor's appointment for the danger that they would face by being that old and having health problems. And the response that he told me was, he said, the last time I checked, and he's not a prophet by any means, 
but you never know where wisdom will come from. He said, the last time I checked, the Bible says, as long as I'm doing what God wants me to do and I'm listening to him, can't nothing take me out of here early. You see, the important thing there is to listen to him. Listen to what he says. That God would strengthen us with virtuous power by his spirit working in our hidden places. That's what he says because right there in verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, that is the storehouse from which it all comes from, his glory, to be strengthened with might. And, and that word might, that word, as a matter of fact, that dunamis, that dynamite power, it is the inherent power residing inside of something by nature of its own virtue. And I can't think of anyone more virtuous than Jesus Christ. I can't think of anyone more pure and holy that has more power residing inside of him than our God and Savior. So, he says here, verse 16, that he would grant you to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. We spend a lot of time working on the outside, don't we? Very little time working on the inside, but that's where God wants to do his work, and he's doing his work through his spirit. So as we transition into this next thought, I want you to think about the, well, I believe the false gospel that we've preached too much of is that if you want to be saved, all you need to do is ask Jesus into your heart. That is not the gospel. The gospel is actually starts in Romans chapter 3. For us, all of sin is short, falls short of the glory of God. It didn't just start in Romans chapter 3. It started in Genesis 3, actually. But nevertheless, we hear about it in Romans 3. It is that we, have, we are all sinners. We are all separated and alienated from God by this thing called sin and that we can't fix ourselves. But there is an answer. Jesus Christ died for us even though while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us on the cross. And so we have a payment for sin that's been made, but then we have to claim that sin. If we will confess him with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus raised from, God raised him from the dead, that you shall be saved. And then I believe in lordship salvation. I believe at that point you're making him the Lord of your life. He's now in control. And now as he's in control, he now changes. He gives you the spirit of the living God. The Holy Spirit comes within you, and now you have reins that are attached to a bit in the horse's mouth of your life. And now God does not necessarily change what you do. He changes what you want to do. He changes your want to's and now he's driving your life. And then what happens? Well, as God sanctifies you, we'll see in this next verse, Jesus Christ wants to move into every area of the home of your life. Listen to what he says here. That Jesus would make our hearts his home when we give him the keys to every room. This is this process. And Paul is praying the entire Christian life Right here in four points out of Ephesians chapter 3. Listen to what he says there. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So he, not, not that he can't step into the heart of your life, but he wants to make his home there. He wants to reside there. Jesus Christ, let me ask you this question. Do you think that Jesus is happy to be made to, to happy to be at home in every area of your life? Every area of your heart. That every door is open when he walks in. You didn't kick stuff into the closet. You didn't run, shut the bedroom door, and you're only letting him in the front room. Amen? First actual home, well, I say home. Christie's made home everywhere we've ever lived. 
ladies have that nesting thing. But the house we had before we surrendered to ministry, she had her front living room. You know, all we had to do was make sure the front living room was good. That way somebody stops by, right? And she's always had this deal. She never wanted a house to where you can see the kitchen sink from the front door. Can I get a witness, ladies? But see, her idea, uh, a dirty and my idea, dirty is two different things. She thinks a cup in the sink's dirty, and I don't. Um, but nevertheless, she always wanted to have it where you, when you step in at any given time, somebody's okay to come into the house. But what about if we let them loose into the rest of the house, into the basement, into the attic, into the closets, into the cupboards, and go to snooping around? We don't like people snooping in our business. The question is, do you like God in your business? Because, see, it's by faith. And what does faith have to do with God living in every, every area of my life? Well, it means that now he has control. If he is at home there, he's going to be Lord. You with me? He, he doesn't play second fiddle. Jesus Christ is going to be Lord of all. And so as he comes into our house and we open up the rooms to him, we're saying, God, it's yours. Do you want him to make decisions for you? It's a great question. Do you want him to make decisions for every area of your life? Like, let's say your finances that you would give all of your spending over to God and say, God, I won't spend a dime unless you tell me I can. I don't know about you, but I don't even want to give that to my wife. That, that privilege to, no, I'm talking about to give me permission. Some, some of y'all are sitting here going, you have to get permission from your wife? Boy, you need some marriage counseling, right? I'm telling you, you need some marriage counseling. So anyhow, but listen, would you give him permission and say, God, I won't spend a dime and I'm not sitting here telling you that I, I'm professing to you that, that I'm, I've arrived, that he has every single pocket of that closet. But I can tell you this, over the course of the last 20 years, and yes, that's a long time, I'm slow. But over the course of the last 20 years, he's further in that closet than he ever was. And that closet's cleaner than it ever was. It's not finished, but he's, it's, it's a work in progress but I'm telling you right now, it takes faith to say, God, is it okay for me to purchase this? God, is it okay for me to give this money to this person? You also do that with relationships when it comes to your mouth and your attitude, right? God, is it okay for me to say this? Should I respond this way? And, and, and it's okay to take a little time to respond to people. You don't have to give people an answer at, at, to everything at just a moment's notice. You tell them, I need to pray about this thing. And I ask God how I would respond to this. And see, it goes through the whole, whole heart, the whole body. God, are you cool with what I'm watching with my eyes? God, are you okay with what I'm hearing through these earbuds that are in my ears, the stations I listen to, the podcasts I listen to, the, 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 the playlist that I have, Pandora, all these other things? Are you good with all the things that I'm listening to? Because if, if you're holding it back from him then he's not Lord of every area of your life. And Paul's saying, I want you to give your heart over to God. Let him have access to every area of your life by faith. In other words, trust him. Say, God, here I am. I'm yours. Just take me. And I, let me just throw this out there. Whenever life gets chaotic, it's even more important for you to do that. 
You and I can't, we can't really guide ourselves. God knows. My heart's gone out to my brothers and sisters in um, foreign countries. As this thing has unfolded and these things are happening, I wasn't even thinking so much about that. I was thinking about in my own life, am I a hypocrite in my own life when I've got brothers and sisters in, in countries that are infested with AIDS and I've got missionary friends that are out there holding, and I say friends, you and I have brothers and sisters in Christ all over this world. Did you know that? Your brothers and sisters in Christ, there are people in other countries led by the Spirit of God. They have given their hearts over to God and said, God, lead me and guide me. And what God did was sent them into an AIDS-infested country to hold the hands of people that die of AIDS, that, and they can catch it themselves. But yet they're being the hands and feet of Jesus. And let me just say this, and I say this with all of the humility I possibly can. I know that Jesus Christ... The, the verse that's been on my heart so much over the last 48 hours is the fact that Jesus touched the hand of the leper. And do you realize that you're the most Jesus that this world has? You and I, Christians, we're the most Jesus this world has. We are to be Christ to this world, a light in the darkness. We're to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, giving out a cup of cold water in his name, touching the hands of the sick and the afflicted and praying with them, worried about their eternal destinies and their souls. And I can tell you right now that if people started dropping dead in the street, the spirit of the living God would rise up inside of the people that are believers and they would be the ones down beside them praying with them as they take their last breath. It'd be us. I think if somebody could help me, Chuck Colson wrote a book. Somebody reminded me of it. It's called The Body. The story when the plague come through Europe and all the dead bodies are laying out there and people are contracting the plague because of all these rotting corpses. One Christian man steps up and gets a rope and ties it around the bodies and he drags that body out of town and he begins to come back and get more and more. And the next thing you know, other Christians start coming out there. And so that we get all the dead bodies out of town so people wouldn't contract the disease. All I'm trying to tell you is there is nobody on the face of this planet that loves people more than Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ left us here. So be careful to listen to God and let God lead your heart as to what you do. I think it's a wake-up call for us as Christians as to how little we follow him, how little we listen to him, and how much we care about our own lives. Tim had to leave. He's actually gone to go <clears throat> sing at a funeral in South Carolina. Hope they don't have a lot of people show up. That's a joke. Anyhow. I hope they hear the gospel. That's what I hear, hope. I hope and pray they hear the gospel. He's going to go sing. So, so, so death happens. And, and, and everything that's going on does not stop the other things in life that are going on. People still hurt from other things other than the coronavirus. People still get sick from other things. It's happening all the time. So... Here's, here's Paul as he finishes his prayer. He goes, that we would learn God's love by walking with him, not just reading about him. 
And so if we look in Ephesians chapter seven, I mean, chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, he says that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and height. To, the, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness, that you may know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. I have, I'm not a Greek scholar by any means, don't even profess to even know Greek, but I do know just a few words and know what they mean. I've tracked a couple of words about knowledge over the last probably 10, 12 years of my Christian life. And one of them especially is in this particular verse, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. It's the word gnosko. It is an experiential knowledge. In other words, it is a hands-on learning event. I did not go to a technical college to learn tool and die. I learned it on the job. I had my hands out there working. I did not get the uh, privilege of, I didn't take the privilege of learning it in a textbook. I learned it, by, learned it by experience. I've come to find out that in skilled trades, you're much better to have somebody that's got experience with hands-on than you are to have people with book knowledge. As a matter of fact, the worst thing that can happen anywhere is to get an engineer fresh out of school who does not know anything about anything. And all I'm trying to tell you is you can go to seminary all your life, but if you don't ever experience God, you'll know nothing of the love of God. And that's what he's trying to tell you right here is that you can get all the knowledge, head knowledge you want to, but until you actually get experiential knowledge, until you're down and out and trusting God and see God come through, you won't know anything about how good God is. But if you'll walk with him and talk with him and watch him, watch him provide for you, then when it comes to reading his word, his word opens up and goes, that's the God I'm trying to tell you about. He's the one that's loving on you. He's the one that's providing for you. I, I never would have known how much God could provide when it comes to monetary resources until I stepped out and walked away from the very thing that I trusted the most in and my abilities to make money. And I watched God do things that could never be explained when you're sitting in your house and you don't even have, you don't even have Christmas for your kids. And a day before Christmas, a knock comes on the door. And there's somebody out there saying, could you come help me unload these boxes and bring them in? We have Christmas for your family. I'm like, who told you about this? They said, we're just a church down from the eastern part of North Carolina. And God, God put it on our hearts to put some toys together and some things together, some clothes together, and some food together. Put them in the car, drive them up here and see if, see if there were any students on campus. They drove four hours and they got to my house and had stuff that fit my kids when it come to clothes. I'm telling you right now, my God's bigger than any need that you got. My God will supply every need you have according to his riches and glory. And see, my problem is I've got so institutionalized and so comfortable in myself. I have forgotten just how big God truly is. I've forgotten just how big he is. My God is huge. My God is mighty. There is nothing my God cannot do. Nothing he can't do. The only problem is we don't take him at his word. Because I can promise you, if you go to give God your heart, you say, Christ, I want you to have every area of my life. He's going to make decisions that are so awkward. He's going to make decisions that are so awkward for you. 
You're going to go, God, this does not feel comfortable. God, we can't accomplish this. God, I don't know if you know exactly what you're doing. And if we'll just walk with him, he'll show us that he knows exactly what he's doing. Let's look at Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 33 through 39. And then my last point is extremely short. Verses 33 through 39. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor principality, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know what persuaded Paul? God persuaded Paul when Paul opened up the heart of his life and said, God, it's all yours. And God sends Paul off into a prison somewhere. God sends Paul into a shipwrecked missionary journey. And Paul seen God come through in his life. And out of that, Paul gets to tell us, I'm persuaded. I've kind of come to the conclusion that there ain't a thing on this earth, nor a thing in the sky, nor a thing that man could ever think of that could ever separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And see, if he loves you, he'll look after you and I believe he loves me and I believe he loves you last thing Paul prays as he sums up I believe is kind of the whole deal that we would be so filled with God's presence that there's no room for anything else that's kind of where he's headed to that you just be full of God listen to what he says there Second part of verse 19 and then 20 and 21, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then listen to the, um, well, the doxology that he gives, the ending glorious statement. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever. And amen that you would be filled to fullness in him. I had this lady and a gentleman stop by. <clears throat> this, this was yesterday morning. As a matter of fact, all day yesterday was work day. Which is cool because I only work two days a week anyhow. Just three hours, two days. But yesterday was work day. Everybody's got to suffer through this thing, Right? yesterday at 11 o'clock I met with a Hispanic gentleman and a Hispanic lady that does Christian counseling and is also a phenomenal translator she was there to translate for me but she was also helping counsel him she's been doing Christian counseling with him and so 
he's in a situation to where he is very overloaded with life right now. He's got responsibilities to lead in Christian ministry in Hispanic culture. And he considers me to be a pastoral mentor to him in his life. <clears throat> and so as we sit there, I was encouraging him that he needs to kind of step aside for a moment to get some things straight in his life so that he can minister to others. I speak those words out of painful memories in my own personal life leading through times that I should have said, hey, could you take this Sunday? Hey, could you take this Wednesday? Because I just don't, I can't do it. But instead, I pushed through and it hurt. Well, I told her to tell him something. I don't speak Spanish. I do understand more now today after having dealt with folks in Guatemala. I do understand more of kind of how they, terminologies that they use. And I, I said, would you tell him this for me? You can't dip water out of an empty bucket. She didn't even get it translated to him. She started crying. And I knew right then that she was burdened beyond belief. People were dipping out of her well so much so that she just didn't have much else to give. We had an absolute hallelujah glory meeting. I mean, snot was slinging. Probably with some coronavirus down in there in the office. You know, but it's sanctified coronavirus. <laughs> And she and I come to a grand conclusion that sadly we have probably lived more of our lives than we should have like the woman at the well before she got the living water. You think about it. She comes to Jesus there, or she comes to the well, she meets Jesus, and Jesus says this, the water that you get from there, it won't last. But if you would have come, if you knew who you was talking to, you would have come and asked me for water. I would have given you living water that never ends. And we come to the conclusion that the reason we get that way is because we get too busy trying to do other things instead of balancing our lives to where he keeps us full. See, you can't provide for somebody what you don't have. A lot of times we try to be Jesus for everybody around us. But the only person that can be Jesus is Jesus. We're just vessels in which they dip. We just need to make sure there's some Jesus there for them to dip out. Matter of fact, it wouldn't hurt to be kind of overflowing to where if they just get near you, they might get some splashed on them. You with me? See, Paul says... Here's my whole thing I want for you. I want you to just be so full of Jesus. I just want, not just, and the love of God. The love of God. That everybody around you is a beneficiary of the overflow of the love of God in your life. We don't give him enough time. And Paul is praying, and I think we should pray for ourselves and for others. And the key part, is that you have to surrender to his lordship every area of your life. Let him feel all in all. And then you'll begin to know 
you'll begin to have a working knowledge of how good God is, and then the people around you will experience the fact that you are so full of Jesus. That's why I made the statement, you are the most Jesus that the people around you will get. You need to make sure you're ready. Um, I'm going to end like this. If you're in here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I got news for you. Whether you get the coronavirus and die or whether you get hit by a Mack truck when you step out of this building, if you are lost, you will not spend eternity in heaven. You'll be separated from him. And that's Facebook folks too. Just because you're in a building with a steeple on it does not sanctify you and set you apart. It does not take care of your eternal destiny. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I've already said it, but I'll say it one more time. This is as simple as this. Admit that you're a sinner because you all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Admit that you're a sinner, depraved, alienated from God. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, sent by the Father, that they put him in a cross, uh, in, a, in a tomb. After he died on the cross, they put him in a tomb. And on the third day, he got up with the keys of death, hell, and the grave in his hand. Then you will confess him as Lord of your life. And you'll live for him from that point forward. And God will begin to do a great work in your life. That needs to be true. The day, the day is the day of salvation. So as you stand with me for just a moment, we're going to end in prayer. Uh, I'm going to invite folks, if they want to come up here and pray, you can pray right where you are. Keep your six-foot distance, whatever you want to do there, but we're going to pray. But before I do, let me simply do this. I didn't do this in the first service, but just feel like the need. If you just bow your heads for